Hey, it's me, Chance, and thanks for listening to our discussion with Aaron and JT Burke. JT is a Lutheran pastor, and together they're the parents of one kiddo who is bisexual and another who's trans. Stay tuned next week where we're actually going to be interviewing one another, so that ought to be fun and interesting. Check out our bio page at punk-journalism.com and send your questions and comments our way. You know, we don't ask for very much at all other than for you to rate and review us on iTunes and soon on Spotify. If you do, please send me a message with a screenshot along with your address and I'll send you a few Punk Journalism stickers in the mail. By the way, your information will never be used for anything other than to mail these items out. Be sure to go to punk-journalism.com where you'll find all of our content in one place and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, YouTube, and SoundCloud. All right. Well, we're speaking to some old uh, family friends of mine, Aaron and JT Burke. Aaron's one of my sister's oldest friends going back to elementary school. I, I remember my mom taking me to preschool right across the street from the elementary school and you and Nicole being outside at recess and coming by to say hi. So that kind of just to paint a picture of, of how far back we go. Yeah. It's pretty far. Yeah, it's some good history. Yeah. You and JT met in college. Is that right? In Kansas? Yeah. Yeah, 21, we, 23 years ago, I guess. We met 23 years. Yeah, we've been married for 21. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's been, like we've known each other longer than we've been alive. Or half of our lives. Or half. <laughs> <laughs> More than half of our lives. Sometimes those feel like the same thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Half and, of our lives. Sorry. <laughs> and JT is a pastor that leads a Lutheran congregation. Is that right? Yeah, it's a... a uh, Lutheran Church in the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Okay. Um, because there are a, a variety of Lutheran expressions. Okay. In the I see. Okay. It, would that have been the same same description that your dad's yeah. church would have used, Aaron? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Aaron's, yeah, Aaron's father is also a pastor, of a, a Lutheran pastor. When did you attend seminary, JT, and for how long have you been a pastor now? Uh, wow. I've been a pastor for going on 11 years now. So I, I went to seminary, it must have been 2006, because I finished up in 2010. Okay. When I first call. So okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's literally 11 years this, this week, I guess. You've, uh, you've served in a couple different locations, right? You're in Washington now, but you were, where were you before that? We served three churches in western north dakota and one two churches in western north dakota and one in eastern montana okay they're all about 8 miles apart from each other but that's where we were for 4 years so after seminary that's where i ended up um, okay. for my first call cool pretty rural area yes yeah like 1100 people rural oh wow but you guys are pretty much right outside of seattle now right yep yep, yep just south north. okay yeah cuz when i i was in seattle a couple of years ago and met up with Aaron for lunch and it was yeah. I think like maybe a half an hour drive to to get together. Yeah, yeah, those were good crepes. <laughs> yeah, that place was good. Yeah. So it seems like a big theme of our discussions often has been how we're tremendously different people for the better than we were in our our early adulthood. So as a Christian, would you say your views have changed and evolved for the better, JT? I think it's an interesting question for me because I wasn't raised uh, in the church. So, like, I didn't have a lot of, I would say, early Christian experience baggage that came with me. Yeah. Um, so I was an adult um, when I started really engaging 
uh, Christian faith. So I think coming from that perspective is different than, you know, if I were just a kid who has just been kind of been learning all this stuff as I go and it's always been surrounded. Um, I feel like I had a whole different experience to bring to the table. That, so. that is very, that almost seems like reversal where a lot of people would be raised that way. And then maybe that persuasion would, would go away over time, but yours is kind of the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I feel like I, I came from a different, um, place of engagement when I started to engage the church, um, and working there. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Aaron. I remember when he, um, he got a job as a youth director, kind of, I thought it was kind of on a whim and he needed a job and a coworker of mine said, Hey, there's a youth director position. I think your husband would be great for. And I was kind of like, are we talking about the same person here? And, um, and anyways, he interviewed and did really well and enjoyed it so much that after like, I think you were there for three or four months and came home and said, I know what I want to do. Yeah. So then it just kind of switched and, uh, yeah, he went, you know, actually we seminary. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, now that you mentioned that, I kind of I, I recall now when I was still attending church pretty regularly, I think I remember JT leading the children's sermon there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it I, was. That, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So would you say that if you woke up with the knowledge you, you have now back then in 2010 or so, would you still pursue the same path? <laughs> I think I would. Um, it's definitely, it can be, uh, I'm trying to think of the most uh, kind way to th- say things. It, it, it's like any job. There are always difficult times and difficult mm-hmm. things that you encounter in that. Um, but thinking of this other piece that I've been working on, I definitely feel like there is a worthy ambition that I'm working towards through this job. And okay. so I, going back, I would, I would follow this path. I would probably have more resources to start over with, <laughs> to move forward with. Yeah. And then all the learning that happened over the 11 years. So, and yeah. I guess the reason that I asked that question is, and, and I know that I'm painting with a broad brush here and, and generalizing, but you both have always struck me as very progressive people, even, you know, back when I was a kid and I knew you guys way back when. And so how has that worked or what's the approach that you've taken being so progressive amongst a community that is traditionally thought of as quite rigid in its, in its belief set? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, Yeah. It's been a challenge for sure. Um, and trying to find the, the challenge is trying to have conversations around these things um, mm-hmm. without people being reactive. Because we're often very reactive. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm like I'm not the like the most my personality is not to like jump on top of you and start saying all this stuff to you. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think sometimes is exactly what people experience with religion, um, is sure. that people tell you what to do and what to think and, and what to believe. Um, but I think the perspective that we bring, kind of that, pers- that progressive 
um, ideals and curiosity. Um, it doesn't, it hasn't, from my experience, it, it has kept like an open box. Can you guys, this is a little sidetrack. Hopefully you can't hear this. Our kids are playing video games below us. Can you hear that? Barely. No, it's not like distraction or anything though. You guys are fine. Okay. okay sorry about that. No problem. <laughs> oh. what, what video, what video games are they playing? Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves? Yeah, it's like a pirate game that they play together. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yes. No, but I think I think that perspective, um, kind of going into a faith community, um, for myself even, um, having grown up with it and kind of been able to formulate my own boundaries and my own um, spaces where I feel comfortable, um, have been really... I've had to be really intentional where we go into a congregation and there, for some reason in this job in particular, there's so many expectations um, that are put on the families of the pastors. Like you're under um, a microscope. Right. Right. That are spoken or unspoken. And some of those are ancient expectations mm -hmm. and some of them are just like personal expectations. Um, so, I really found that creating those boundaries for myself, um, just as a human, as a mom, um, as a, a person who enjoys going to church um, sometimes, <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of the, the space that I exist in. Um, How do you find that other people react to those boundaries, especially when it's you know something that people are expecting to be able to be a part of your family or to be able to expect from your family yeah that's a great question yeah because um, i think people might assume that your family is just kind of it's an open house kind of like and you guys are are under a microscope and that there aren't those boundaries there yeah yeah i think yeah. For, like, go ahead ricky well I, and, and i think to, to piggyback on that i think that uh you know when i was in the church the family was seen as kind of the uh the pastor's first congregation right so the behaviors of the family reflected how we could expect to be treated and how we could expect to behave and uh a family that had issues that were seen as you know a quote-unquote against god um or unchristlike would have a big effect on how people would interpret that pastor mm -hmm. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I've, I feel like I've always been on the other side of that. So I have right. honestly haven't experienced that piece from that place. But there's definitely like, Thank you. like expectations that yeah. members of the congregation, whether they, like you said, have spoken or unspoken, like there is an expectation that like the pastor's family is going to be like the most uh, committed people to everything that's happening in the church. And so often role models. Aaron, yeah, like role models. They'll ask Erin, like, what is going on with this thing? And she's gotten really good about saying, that's not my job. I, I actually, not. so so you say, you're talking about role models and there's some of that that's really, it can be a wonderful experience. Um, I, I don't think in my, in my lifetime that that's been a positive. Mm -hmm. um, and my brothers might have something different, right? Their experience might be different. Um, but I think it was more like a spotlight, like a blaring spotlight mm, right. on me all the 
time. Well, and, and I was- guess we should mention, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but your dad is also a Lutheran minister. So you grew up as, as, as a child of in that environment, you know, whereas now you're a spouse of, of somebody who's a pastor, you grew up. So uh, is that kind of what you're speaking to as far yeah. as like comparing to your brothers? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, yes. And, and the place where I would love for it to be more of a role model, I think the, the space that I want is to understand where those boundaries are and be able to engage and celebrate in a way that I see myself in the, um, myself really, um, being able to share gifts rather than like what I'm it's cause it's ridiculous. Sometimes people care about what you wear. People sure. care right. about oh, yeah. if you cuss like these things mm-hmm. to me, they don't well, you're human, right? Who's a fuck, really? <laughs> um, yes. yes. More- and, 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 and to be honest, <clears throat> I feel like a, an American, uh, congregation, is like a microcosm of the president and the United States. It's the exact same thing. We look at the president and we judge every little thing that they do or judge everything that the first lady is doing and and things of that manner. So you're very much under a microscope in that position. That's a great comparison. Yeah. Yeah, Well, when you said that, I was thinking about Michelle Obama, who was criticized for wearing like sleeveless blouses and Yeah. Yeah, that was my first thought as well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, quite literally. And it just makes me shake my head and go, no, actually, let's talk about what, what's important in the church. Mm-hmm. Because that is the farthest thing, um, in my mind, at least. So in this community. I'm t- good. Did you have something, JT? No, I was just okay. agreeing with her. Okay. <laughs> good. Good job. That's, that's what good husbands do. Right. So along with that, and this is one of the the biggest reasons that I was motivated to reach out to you to you all, is that your two oldest children's child children's children, uh, Luna and Gray. Gray is bisexual, and Luna is trans, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. how how has your family been received by the community, especially the congregation? I guess to yeah. to specify. I and, and I'm, I truly can't remember. Uh, Luna was born male, right? But identifies as female now. She was assigned male. Okay. Correct. Okay. And at, at about age eight is when she came out okay. to us, and uh, we hung on to that as a family and uh, experienced it and grew with her um, before we shared it with the community, the church community. Um, and I think we both have different experiences with that. So I'm going to let you go first. I'm putting you on the spot. I think we, I think one of the interesting pieces around this is that, like Aaron said, Luna was eight, seven or eight, um, when she shared shared this with us. And so I've been at this church for seven, seven years now. Um, Luna is 13. So over like the past you know, five to six years, the congregation had seen this kind of process unfolding. We weren't public about it. We, okay. we weren't telling everyone in the congregation as to what kind of what we were, what journey we were on. And people were becoming curious, I think, as time went on about it. Only, um, yeah. I, I think, if I can speak to the part, just the social transition. Yeah. So, 
So the social transition at young ages is like changing your pronouns, changing your name. And if you have any kind of um, uh, expression, like outward expression, that can shift. It, and, and the other thing is that it looks different for every single human. Um, so for us, that looked like Luna growing her hair longer, which takes so long, so long. I've actually thought about selling wigs to kids, like for mm-hmm. like trans kids that sure. they can just quickly have that switch. Yeah. Um, That's actually a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Right. It would be so good. Um, yeah. So they, they've kind of witnessed, if I'm speaking correctly to you, what you were saying. Yeah, they've seen that social transition. Yeah. Okay. But I saw it. And, um, but it also, at that time we're here, we're in relationship with this community and the realization that this hasn't impacted or changed anything about us as human beings, um, that we are still the people who are, you know, caring for our kid. Sure. Um, I'm still the pastor who's preaching in the pulpit. Nothing is like um, drastically different in in that respect. And I think that that piece of like just it not being so abrupt, maybe, and that they people were becoming more and more um, curious about it. And they saw this kind of, they grew alongside it, I guess. Okay. I, and not put this in the proper words. I think, no, I think you're right on. I think you're right on the, um, the experience. I had a few people as, as the social transition was going on um, that asked me about, so what's going on? Or um, doesn't your kid need a haircut? Or, ooh, those are fancy pants. Or um, like in a condescending kind of way or. Yeah, 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 and just honestly some, curious. Some of that stuff can't be said in any other way but condescending. <laughs> but like what you what you just Ooh, said those are fancy like, that's parents. atrocious. Yeah. 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 Correct. Correct. Well, and as a as a parent, it or just I guess it makes maybe passive aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, there was a point though that we decided, hey, pronouns are switched everywhere. And that was we followed Luna's lead with that. Um, so that was when they felt comfortable enough to kind of, they went through a little bit of a non-binary stage where we used just the term kid, um, and hadn't officially changed her name. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once we did, it was like everywhere. She was like, that's who I am. Um, this is what I want moving forward. And so I actually wrote a letter, um, that I shared. Where did I share that? I think I made a post on Facebook. Um, just because I was exhausted from having little tiny conversations with people and having to start from scratch one in my explanation and the, and sure really didn't even have to explain it. (laughs) Right. Still don't have to explain it. It's not my job. Sure. It's helpful. Um, so that other people can know what this experience is Mm -hmm. like, I think. Yeah, I gotta say that's some good boundary setting. Yeah, I think we yeah. also we shared that with the congregation. I think we emailed that out to members of the congregation. That letter that we put yeah. together. Yeah. Um, when cool. it came to the point where we needed to really just say it out loud, um, voice it, speak it out, um, and we I'm trying to remember the time that we did. We also we did some previous work, I think, before we 
sent this letter out. We spent six weeks um, on the on the topic of gender and talking about gender and gender identity and gender expression uh, at the church um, as part of an adult educational forum. And to just kind of help people familiarize familiarize themselves with you know language around it. What does this mean? Um, and the difficult part was separating like sexuality from gender and identity and expression for people. Sure. How many people did you get that said, well, this is the way that God made us. He made us man and woman. There's no room for wiggle. To our face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To your I, face. I would, I would say not, I would like, not very many. To I would your like face. to, I would like to know if anybody like sent you, an email regarding that with pushback, anybody that tried to push back as far as theology is concerned, uh, things of that nature. Those are great questions. No one, no one like directly pushed back. Uh, you, I think had an encounter with someone, but it wasn't so much like theological. I can't remember. No, I think I experienced people. Uh, there were a handful of people that just left the church. Yep. They just were like, Nope, mm -hmm. we're done. And they found someplace new. And my, um, at first I was like, ooh, shit, that doesn't feel good. And then I was like, you know what? They're going to find Welcome. a place that, that really fits them better. And I I felt like for myself, just like I'm opening the door. If people need to go away from me, that's great. Mm -hmm. Or not me, but my family. Um, find the place that you need to be because I'm not going. Right. Well, right. You know, yeah. I, I think a really huge part of that too is there's a certain uh, demographic of people who you're not going to convince that this is something that isn't a choice that you're you're not born this way and as long as you believe that it is something that you choose or you're just trying to do it to get attention or or whatever then trying to get, trying to appeal to them in, in any other way is is basically moot and those people are a lost cause anyway, you know, and I think it's yeah. really great what you'd mentioned about, you know, educating people on, on pronouns and that sort of thing. And even me, like when I initiated this conversation, I, you corrected me as by, by saying that she was assigned the gender of male. And so, you know, I, I wanted to be clear that everybody here is an advocate, but me, I'm, I'm ignorant to, to the language and the, and the. And, and everything else, but I'm, I'm certainly open to wanting to know the proper way to, to approach it. So, I'm still ignorant too. And, well, I, I am, I am too. I mean, I, I really feel. We are too. I, I, yeah, I'm really, 39 and I've never been cool once in my life. Well, <laughs> so the reality, I think that I've definitely noticed in this whole span of time um, is that it's just constantly changing we're constantly growing and having to like giving give ourselves permission to have some grace. Um, mm. I feel I, I still carry like, man, Lou, Luna, I just, I wish I knew earlier, like, and I could have supported you more. And she's just like, you didn't know mom. <laughs> like it's really matter of fact. Yeah. Well, that's, I think um, that's a very progressive way of thinking, especially with JT, what you do, because I'm, um, I, I, I hit on it every show before I kind of like drill in on Christianity because I'm, I, I was brought up uh, Catholic and then I was a Christian up until I was 35. I'm now uh, a part of the satanic temple. So uh, just so, yeah, correct. Yeah. So, 
but yeah. but I I know a lot about Christianity and the Bible, and I'm and I'm you know I've be, been kind of militant about it. It's still pretty fresh for me, like uh, you know, giving that well, up. It's kind but, of like trauma um, that you experience, though. Absolutely, absolutely, and, yeah. and so I just think it's for the, for the first the first thing in in my mind is I can only imagine, especially uh, where my children live in Missouri, I can only imagine a, a child coming out to their parent in an area like that in the Bible belt and their parent telling them that they're wrong or their parent telling them, uh, that they're, they're incorrect. There's something wrong with them and kind of forcing them to be somebody that they don't want to be. So I, <laughs> you beat yourself up, but I think that you're very progressive. There's an, I don't feel yeah. like there's a lot of uh, parents in America right now that would be open to even considering yeah yeah you just Uh, hit on the largest reason why the suicide rate for trans people are is so high well not even not even or not only the suicide rate but the homeless population right Mm -hmm. it's a huge trans population because kids are getting kicked out of their house Mm -hmm. sure wow well and you know there's a there's sort of a, a misconception that People, people kind of try to put two and two together and they're seeing so many trans people out in the open now that they think that it must be like something in vogue. And it's like, no, it's more it's it's much more the the fact that for the first time ever, they can feel even just a little bit comfortable to be who they are. So people are they've probably exist in it in as large a numbers as they always have. It's just now they're getting to the point where they can. Yeah, they can be out about it and and comfortable. There's certainly a long, long, long way left to go. I mean, you just mentioned the homeless population, yeah. but, but yeah. Absolutely. We have a friend, a good friend of ours who's in her 70s, like late 70s. Um, she's a trans woman. She's been out for about 15 years. Um, and in conversations with her, she's she said, I knew when I was seven. I knew when I was seven. I lived my life. Um, she was married to a woman, had kids, um, finally felt like coming out and um, kind of the world shifted again, right? But yeah, absolutely. Trans people have been here forever. Mm-hmm. JT, I've got a couple of questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. First one's about your days in college. Yeah. Um, your teachers there at college, the ones who were responsible for developing people into pastors, yeah. would you call them pastorizers? <laughs> dude i love the dad jokes <laughs> i will say this like, um so i mentioned earlier that i'm a part of the elca so that's one um one branch or expression of lutheranism and the elca has been more progressive as far as lutheran churches have been but still has a long still has a long go. ways to go um, that's actually my second question is how did your how did your church leadership uh accept your family's um changes yeah um we had i think we have a good there are a group a good group of people here at this congregation who were supportive throughout the whole thing leadership leadership yeah um and so beyond you our church what do you mean leadership do you mean your superiors oh Got you. I didn't get that. Um, they've been they've been really supportive um, uh, as far as and we've been pushing. We belong to Ascended, so it's a group of churches. We've been pushing to try to even become more inclusive. 
So there's a, a process in the Lutheran Church called reconciling in Christ, which is um, a process in which you acknowledge publicly that you are a place of affirmation. So you affirm LGBTQ, race, um, socioeconomic status, a variety Gender. of a, a variety of you know marginalized categories of people throughout the history of the church, right? That have always uh, been oppressed, um, and so. Making changes in Mount Cross, there was already a group of people who would, I would say, were in our uh, in our boat. Um, and I think within you know my church leadership um, that they're all in that boat too. But sometimes the boat doesn't really go very fast. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think another piece that played into that was we decided to go to seminary in Chicago, which was a more progressive thinking. Um, education system. Yeah, um, so we got masters in a space where there were more discussions about these things. Um, probably still could have been more, uh, but yeah. I think that definitely has propelled the conversation for us. Not even knowing that we were going to have amazing kids like this, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of just giving that foundation and space to exist outside of what the what those gender norms are and societal norms. And, and I was going to say, uh, definitely your location where you guys are at is sure. is definitely a part of uh, being able, I, I feel like, you know, being able to come out to a congregation and have the, the support, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's going to be people leave anywhere, but I feel like if you left, if you lived in the Bible Belt, that's not really, you know, you there that wouldn't have been a good situation. That would have been, you know, maybe even a scary situation to some extent. And that, and that's kind of what bothers me with, with the the whole movement and just like how far we still have to go in places that are just super red. You know what I mean? Like uh, across the country, not just in those places that are more progressive thinking. Yeah, I think we we've, we've thought about that. It would have been a a vastly different picture for us if I was still serving in North Dakota. And mm-hmm. then this began, this process began there. Um, yeah. Or, or if we lived with his family in Kansas, I think they would be supportive in and of themselves. But that's like a little pocket, and you can't a human can't exist in a pocket. Sure. Um, Absolutely. And I I live in Kansas, and that was actually when we did our Satanic Temple podcast. I actually was talking about how I wore my Hail Satan t-shirt to the gym to work out and just how many dirty looks i got like one old man just wouldn't stop staring at me i just thought it was funny like at that point i knew he wasn't staring at my prosthetic leg he was staring at my hail satan shirt yeah it was very interesting yeah well to be fair your leg is a little bit weirdly shaped (laughs) it It was last week right you guys that that we spoke to froggy right aunt froggy yeah okay so yes so aaron and jt um Ricky's aunt is, uh, she's a Buddhist lesbian married to a, a, a Christian pastor. And where, where are they at again? Uh, they're in Fort Worth at the okay. Fort Worth, United, Texas. At, That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At, uh, at, at Leanne's United Church of Christ. Uh, yeah. And, and the way that, that she had explained sort of what's emphasized in her Buddhist beliefs is, it's it's kind of like I'm not going to say this very well, but it's like what the, the parts of the teachings that do fit into your life are you keep those and anything that's too rigid or too cumbersome, 
Like you can yeah. shed that and that, that just is not for you. And, and I think that a lot of people, a lot of times are critical of saying, oh, that's just, you know, cherry picking your belief systems. But I, I think that a lot of, you know, us, our roots in America being so puritanical, I think that that's almost essential a lot of the times is, is that part of progress is we need to look at what's worked and what hasn't and, and what we can change and what can evolve. Right. Yeah. I think um, I often think of thinking of the Bible belts and you know, seeing the way in which they view like, people might view scripture there, right? Is that this is like the instruction manual, right? And you have to follow all these steps. And you, so, I mean, you have to adhere to everything that's in there. Otherwise you get to end. It's like, you know, Ikea furniture and you're missing pieces and it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, and then like, I feel like it's such a misrepresentation of the, of what the story is. And really, I mean, the Bible is a story um, and from the Hebrew scriptures to the new Testament for, for us, it's a story of how God sought to be a part of this world um, fully. Um, not because um, the world was a great place, but a world that God loved. Right? And so um, being able to, like, yeah, I think I love the way in which um, she described that of shedding the things that are too rigid because they're not going to um, benefit the world around you. Mm -hmm. Right. If it's not growing or expanding or trying to, uh, what I like for me, like, the big piece of my calling is that I'm called to help create abundance and flourishing for the world around me. So how can I do that? Well, it's definitely not by uh, telling people they can't participate. It's definitely not by me uh, taking my Bible and smacking them over the heads, telling them that they're wrong because it says it here 2,500 years ago. It also, I also point this out. It also says you shouldn't eat shrimp, but you're doing that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So wearing mixed fabrics. Yeah. My favorite one. I had a, a person in the national guard chancellor in the same national guard unit. And uh, this person would all, we'd have good theological conversations, you know, and it would always be something like, uh, well, homosexuality is wrong. Yada, 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 those same kind of things. And I would always say to them, Hey, what's your uniform made out of? <laughs> and they, uh, polyester and rayon and I'd say guess what read down another paragraph and a half and you're not allowed to wear mixed fabrics you are also an abomination correct yeah. you are also an abomination <laughs> and, that, and then and I would I, then I would materialize a mic in my hand and I'd just drop it and turn around and walk away it's an appropriate response just mic drop and yeah, it was also said here earlier I think maybe you said a chance that the hard part is that you're never going to I don't feel like you're ever going to convince someone who like, if that is how they're feeling about scripture, um, you're not going to convince them. Um, well, that no very much. What, yeah. That no matter what because they're so entrenched in it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll finish up one thing, one thought before I lose it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Peter Enns, who's a, a theologian and professor back in the East coast somewhere. He talks about this, this idea of the sin of certainty. And the problem is that we're so we can get so certain about these things that when something uncertain approaches us, we either uh, we retreat back into this fear that if if that is actually true, then everything I believed crumbles, right? And so, right, yeah, the reluctance or the refusal to acknowledge kind of new information that's coming at you 
is simply because you're so afraid that what you that you're so firm in this rigid in this it's a house of that, cards yeah it all tumbles right and so that's the sin of certainty yeah, yeah. It it's 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 that's cognitive great. dissonance yes yes yes, yes. So. that's exactly what it is you know and and I've given up having some conversations with with people that I'm relatively close to because I'll challenge them on on things like you know why is homosexuality bad and and they'll they'll just say well it says here in the bible x y and z and then that's it for them it's like mic drop slam the bible down that's you know yeah. if it's in the bible I don't have to explain it any further than that and it's like why can't we think critically about that? Like, why can't we ask ourselves, you know, what context, what time was this written in? Who wrote this? Why did they write it? Why was it included? You know, was it maybe, was there an agenda behind it? Like, these are questions that I think are okay to ask. And and, and just to accept it without question, I think is, it would be called faith. But I don't think it is. I think it's just kind of um, just ignorance. ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig a little bit here, and I'm sorry to the three of you, uh, but that's one of the one of the bad sides of faith. I feel like uh, is you are taught and indoctrinated from a young age that this is right, Jesus is right, um, and that's why they get that way. I feel like. Uh, Christian traditions that accept this, of course, are, you know, uh, accepted from my statement. But a lot of times when you get people who are raised that way and they get that sin of certainty going, it's because that's what they've been taught their whole lives. That's what that indoctrination that are, that into, into this has become for them. Yeah. So that's a lot of years of relearning, reteaching, mm-hmm. re-experiencing yep. things. Absolutely. Yeah, and then they've got to be faced with the whole, the, you know, my whole life up until I changed my viewpoint, mm-hmm. I've been wrong. And depending on the person, that could be a lot of years, you know. Yeah, and that's a big hurdle for the estimator to jump over. I'm in, and I'm in the midst of that. So I'm in year two of this journey. And I can tell you it, it is hard because you are rebuilding your entire belief structure and your foundation of what your reality was. And when I try to rebuild it, I'm trying to to be empathetic in doing so. I mean, one of the biggest things when I was letting go of my belief was, first of all, hell is always a part of it. I mean, for I, I feel like for most Christians, that's the, the big driver is their fear of going to this eternal damnation. The second, the second thing that really was hard for me was accepting that I wasn't going to live in eternity and that I wasn't going to get to see my children after I died again. Right. So like just accepting things that to me are logical. Um, but, but in the midst of that, what I, what I'm finding is that everybody needs a purpose. And I, I love when, people can take their their Christianity and they can live it out the way I feel like Jesus tried to set the example to live your life out, which is uh, a, a lot of this stuff has nothing to do with it. Um, homosexuality, abortion, these are things that are such a huge part of the church for some reason in this country, and Jesus never spoke on either of those issues. I think it was in the 50s or 60s that um, the whole statement about homosexuality in the Bible came oh, out. Yeah, it was... Like, let's talk about when the Bible was written. Mm. Okay. 
Like well, it's really, it's, yeah. it's really, go ahead. Yeah, it was, I think in the early fifties, late forties that the first translation of homosexual was actually translated into the Bible. Um, and to Wrong. just nerd out a second yeah. on that, Luther in his translation in German in the Bible, the word that somehow got translated in English as homosexual in the 48, like the late forties was actually the word used for like, um, so, like a pedophile pedophilia yes okay. yes we we actually yes. discussed this a little bit last week yeah yeah power dynamic in a relationship where someone has is has power over the other and they're forced into this relationship and it had nothing to do with homosexuality whatsoever but that was That's the like, they chose and so you've got to back to what you were saying chance like who translated this who made these choices because every translation is an interpretation that's why the quran like the real quran is only in arabic everything else is if you buy one it's the translation of the quran or the message of the quran it's not the quran because there's not always words from those those yeah. languages that translate into english uh, there's a lot of words that don't translate at all yeah so every translation is an interpretation by those who are making it in some respect much like the King like, James I mean, version. Yeah, like you could draw a parallel between that and between in God we trust being put on our money. Uh, you know, that, that leads a lot of people to believe that this is a Christian nation uh, built by Christians, you know. So dangerous. And that was just added in the 40s. It is. Yeah. And that's exactly why the Founding Fathers put in that separation of church and state. If they wanted it to be a Christian nation, they totally could have made it that way, but instead they put in that separation. And that that's the, the Church of England is the reason that they fled from there in the first place, which was somebody having power and using religion to wield it. Well, in I, I, I did want to just go back and, and ask, you know, we did touch upon people getting angry and leaving the church. Have you gained any followers just because a good uh, question. of this? Because, you know, a pastor that's so open about this, maybe you're you're making others that are, are transitioning or wanting to come out feel like they have a place where they actually belong. Yeah, I think so. We were just talking about an experience for someone. Um, we had put up Happy Pride on our board. No, our it was board. Love Wins. Love Wins, uh, which would have been, which is the vaguest Vegas, I guess we could be. Um, everything gets everything gets politicized in America. Yeah, but, but the reaction was one person who had recently like come out to their family, um, maybe just a year before that, was just surprised because that that a church would put something like that up, and because just they grew up in because the they grew up in the church, and it was not something that they one. would have ever experienced happening in that place. Um, and so, yeah, I think. The more the more open or um, vocal that we can be as as allies, yeah, more people will. Whether you know you lose some and you gain some, if you create space for people to enter into, so I think it's it. I think too, it's just creating space for ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. And so in that process, we're thinking about others, we're thinking about everyone else. But for for me at least, as a congregation member who's deeply tied to the person who, who talks a lot there. <laughs> um, I feel like it's creating safe space for us. And it's a constant struggle because like even last Sunday, they were doing a reading 
one of the gospel readings or one of the lessons or something. From Job. And the language in it. It sounds like you were following along real close in church. Oh my God. Well, I was helping record. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Anyways, there, one of the things in the lesson said something like, um, lured up, no. Gird up your loins. Lo- like I flipped it. Gird up your loins like a man. And I just was like, <laughs> my everything <laughs> in me was so pissed off. And so I told the gal that I was reading, I was like, I just sat down and I said, this is just me talking, not the pastor's wife. This is just me saying that that whole line sucks. If you feel like changing it, change it. Um, and yeah, so there, there are people, I think, that come to our space. Um, and yes, it provide, it's beginning to provide a safer yeah. space, but it's still not totally affirming. I mean, in the same way like this space, we're all still learning. I think that's important to acknowledge um, that it is a journey for everyone and when you have Well, Chris, so and that people. was, uh, I think that, that was you last week who pointed out to uh, Ricky's aunt. Uh, I can't remember which book it was in, but basically oh, saying what a woman's <laughs> place is and where she ought to know her place and how do you reconcile that. And Well, uh, and, it, and it says, you know, because I get... I get the argument that we're just going to forget the Old Testament because I, you know, as I am more militant about my atheism, you know, I will get into these conversations with Christians. And so if if that is their defense is that, well, the Old Testament isn't really what we follow. We follow the New Testament. And so I always bring them to Acts, which in Acts, uh, there is a verse. I'm sorry, I should probably look it up here. But there is a verse uh, that says that women are supposed to be, uh, you know, silent and not heard in church and that they're supposed to have their heads covered and, and things of that nature. And so I always, you know, say that it says that in the New Testament, that's not just the Old Testament that is that is kind of making women out to be more like property, like the Ten Commandments, you know, kind of makes the woman as property. You shall not cover, you know, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. It's saying the same thing about his property. So it's basically saying, you know, your wife is the same as your property. Yeah. Um, Which gets us back to that understanding the context in which these things were actually written. And I think that's a big piece. I don't expect, I don't believe Paul expected us to be reading his letters 2000 years later. And thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't have the verse, but you knew exactly what I I should have known. The pastor knows this verse perfectly. So So, I don't, I don't think any of the biblical authors, you know, of the new Testament at least really expected us 2000 years later to be trying to read these um, and apply them directly to our lives, whether it's societal structures and context. They weren't meant to be um, timeless in that respect. As far as details, the timelessness was the the story in which uh, how God enters into the world. Like that was the timelessness of it. And so like for us, we read Paul's letters. And it's like, it'd be like you going and opening your neighbor's mail and reading a letter because like, we're reading these out of, out of context. There were so many little conversations that Paul is having with these churches and they all have a variety of issues and, and the whole, you know, keeping silent and church peace. Right. But then Paul is like lifting up women for their support and they're in another letter. And so he's, uh, yes, again, and it does. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back and forth. Uh, one thing that I, I guess I was curious about just to have your, your take and your perspective was that, you know, Chris is an atheist who, 
belongs to the Satanic Temple. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the seven, what do they call it? The seven fundamental tenets of... The, the seven tenets. The seven tenets. And I, when you read that without being aware of the context that it's from, like if you read it and you don't know that it comes from the Satanic Temple, that to me sounds like very reasonable as far as like how we should be treating ourselves and others and the planet and the environment and those around us. And, you know, I I know so many people who would not consider themselves Christian, don't identify as Christian, but they are more Christ-like, if Christian literally means like Christ, they're more Christ-like than, than many very uh, um, stern, you know, pros, proselytizing type Christians are. And so it, it seems like in a lot of ways, um, the more staunch Christians, and, and again, we're painting with a broad brush, like it almost becomes a reversal where they're just more concerned with reciting and making sure everybody else is living to, to the letter of what it, what's in the Bible, as opposed to, you know, like just speaking for myself. I've come to the conclusion that I, I don't believe that you have to adhere or to ascribe to one rigid belief system yet just to live by your intuition and to do one to others, to be a good steward of your community and your environment. And that I consider it humble to admit that I have no idea that of what exists outside of my comprehension, but I also believe there must be something that exists outside of my comprehension, certainly something, something else out there. It's just not something that can be boiled down to a man-written book. And I feel like all that I can do is be the best person I can be, and maybe I can influence and inspire others to do the same. Absolutely. I I just wanted to make a comparison, too, because I feel like, especially for you uh, being a pastor, you would understand when I say that I feel like the bulk of of very conservative, staunch uh, right-wing Christians in this country, um, they are the part of the Pharisees in the Bible. Yeah, the, exactly. They're the very people that Jesus speaks on. And, and in my personal opinion, Trump fits the mold for the evil, deceitful one that's going to come and, and get them to follow a wrong path. And, and so I sit and I look at it, and it's just almost the hypocrisy of it just like makes me want to beat my head against the wall when I'm, I'm watching them do this and act like the Pharisees in which they claim. That well, and they that's, never act I guess like. that's what I was, I was leading up to with that statement was how did uh, conservatism, which I feel is very far removed from Christianity. How did conservatism co-opt Christianity? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think a major piece of that was, um, uh, kind of the what I can't think of the term of the the group, the Christian right or whatever it was called, the Christian coalition. Okay. Uh, once once Christianity get power within the political spectrum, this is I always I always say this um, too. Like the worst thing that happened to Christianity was the Roman Empire embraced it as its religion, because then this. Uh, this religion became tied with political power. I see. And then that led to the Holy Roman Empire, which um, was not a great representation in a lot of ways. And so I think the Christian coalition, they seized power in the seventies, eighties, having the ears of presidents like Reagan. Um, You know, it's the, uh, 
that then they begin to uh, foster uh, political candidates. And so I think um, that's, a, that's a major way, the way in which um, conservative Christianity has really prospered, unfortunately. Um, and, and you see it in things like the National Prayer Breakfast, which they yeah. still hold every year in D.C. And it's like, why are we having all of these like right-wing pastors come and throw a, you know, a breakfast for the most powerful people in America. That just seems like, uh, like those two shouldn't be going together like that. There's a church right off the interstate, uh, I-25. I want to say it's like 58th near Longmont. It's a pretty big church and they have a big Trump sign across their, their fence. And like, I really want to speak to that pastor and just challenge him on like, what, what specific values does Trump espouse that fall in line with with your church and, and Christianity in general and just kind of just pick his brain on that and see what he says. Not even in like a confrontational way, just like yeah. just complete curiosity. Yeah. It, it is. I think it, it brings me back to like trying to convince people um, of a different path. You know what though? I don't think you have to give it up. Like I love the idea of engaging in that conversation. Um, not, not all the time because they're exhausting Absolutely. and they can be emotional. Um, but for what it's worth, I think there's a handful of people that I've known throughout our experience with our family that um, I thought they were, they were totally on the other side. And just by having an experience with, an, like, with actual humans, with actual people um, going through these things, it's, it, that's where I see the most shift happen. It's when it's humanized, and and we touched on that that last week, kind of the George Floyd thing and the movement with making you know trying to get police reform done and and bring in awareness to police brutality uh, in you know against the African American community. You saw the same thing with the civil rights movement, and I feel like when people put a face to it, when they get to know you, when they see that you're not some crazy person that the media or the right wing or Fox news is trying to portray you as like, they're trying to sneak into our bathrooms. Like <laughs> it's, it's all fear tactics. And, and yeah, when you humanize it, when you put a face to it and you go, this isn't this whole big issue that I hear all over the news and all of these people yelling that that's not what it's about. It's me meeting, uh, you one-on-one and face-to-face -face and getting to put a human face to this issue. And once that happens, people tend to reverse course very quickly. Yeah. yeah. Or at least have an understanding of where you can meet. So it's not so polarized. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Like the key to, like I said, I can't convince people with biblical arguments, but what can transform them is an experience of, of that. That's where conversion would happen, where, my thinking has been changed because I actually met someone or engaged or experienced someone um, who I thought was supposed to be different in that respect. Um, I did air quotes. You don't know if you can see me or not. Um, <laughs> I saw your air quotes. Yes. Yes. So much happens like it, when you actually have that experience and you're like, oh, everything that I was told, that doesn't make sense in this moment. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And then you're curious about why. Yeah. Just like I think the Bible as a story, it, Taken out of context, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Just like our our experiences, our opinions, our opinions can be taken out of context. And if we don't understand each other's experiences, there we go. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'm going to sound like a broken record because I mentioned this last week, but I really, you know, a lot of people say that it's, that it's become a platitude or you know, there's not very much meaning to it to say that, you know, you're spiritual and not religious. But what it means to me is exactly what you're talking about, where I see religion is very much where you, you know, you go to, a, you sit down every Sunday and you listen to one person tell you, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what this person said. And this is what this other person did. And you say, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to think and what I'm supposed to say. Whereas a, you go out into the world and you, you have experiences for yourself and those experiences will shape kind of yeah. the, the reality that you have, you know? And I use the example of like an orange, are you going to go to somebody and just, he's going to tell you, well, an orange is sweet, round and juicy. And you're like, I, I'm going to go pick an apple. I guess this is an orange. It's sweet, round and juicy. Yeah. Or are you going to go out and do the legwork and, 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 and craft your own reality based off of your intuition and your, and experiences. And I guess that's how I differentiate spirituality from a religion. Yeah. Well, Chris, you got anything else? I don't. I, I'm, really glad that you guys came on to talk to us. Yeah, this is so great. From, from my perspective, I think it's awesome uh, that you guys are letting your children be who they want to be. Uh, and you're supportive and encouraging of that. And you're not letting some radical misrepresentation of the Bible or some radical ideology keep you from allowing your children to live the life that they want to live as well as being open and accepting of other people. And, and I feel like from my perspective as an atheist, like I have no issue with that. And I, I, it's very encouraging to me to see that. And, and personally, I feel like you help the people in your congregation greatly because if they come to you with an issue, you use, <laughs> rational thought to encourage them you know I'm, sh I'm sure no woman comes to you and says my husband's beating me and you say well we got to stick it out because the bible says that's what we do you know what i mean so um, so 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 i i just think it's uh, a great thing and i and i'm glad we you guys did the podcast with us because I think it needs to be highlighted, uh, especially uh, this month um, and, and celebrated and people, uh, parents like you who are in that and on the forefront of, to me, what is the, the next civil rights movement that is that, that we're kind of everybody's fighting for right now. Uh, I, I think it's amazing and I really appreciate uh, having you guys on. Yeah. To just being asked to share it. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're we're yeah. more than happy, and uh, yeah, you guys have a beautiful family, and yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very very Thanks. much. Yes. Okay, love you guys. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.